Welcome back to The Twin Geeks, a podcast where we have loose conversations with friends about uh, directors' filmographies and franchises. Uh, I'm here with J.D. Deeran. I was I was on your show about uh, Avatar 2 uh, mm-hmm. was a couple months ago, whenever that came out. Time is loose right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mid-December, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the award season is a blur when you're kind of in our position. Uh, For sure. <laughs> And uh, we're good friends online. We talk about hockey yeah. a lot. Uh, and we both yeah. have kind of similar positions of like fatherhood and, and hockey and film uh-huh. watching. Um, yeah. We have some overlaps. So it's it's pretty fun when we get together and get it talk is. about movies. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I um, my life is intensified all the more these last few weeks. Uh, you know, just for a little bit of context to, uh, I guess, height a lot of what you're saying there because yes i am a father i'm a big time hockey fan and not only do i watch hockey i i play beer league as well um to the point where i've injured myself more times than i would like to count at this point but uh i'm already one knee surgery in until last november and i had to have a second knee surgery because of my injuries at the same time, my wife is pregnant, right? And yeah, our second child <laughs> is was uh, going to be born uh, in April. So back in November, it is you know the the height of the fall movie season. I am on crutches for a week and a half. I I can't really do anything except lay on the couch because of my knee, and then of course my wife's pregnant. You know, you come on the show and we talk about uh, uh, Avatar The Way of Water, which was a lot of fun. You know, you kind of wrap up the year, the Oscars, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then uh, mid-April, my second child is born. So, like, there's, like, the last four or five months, like, so much has blurred together that I <laughs> I can't keep track of it all. <laughs> Everything's happening. All at once, but uh, it's been it's, you know it's been a great job. Honestly, I have no complaints. But yeah, there's a lot, a lot of fun stuff to talk about. That's for sure. And you have a new addition to the family. Uh, now I get to formally congratulate you on that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, this is my first podcast since Andrew was born. I haven't done anything on the Incession film side. I've let the other guys kind of take the reins and uh and kind of do the stuff over there. But you and I have been planning this for. A couple of months. months now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. Just things come up in our lives and yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, evergreen topic. I think uh, it will be for, you know, the foreseeable future as James Cameron for sure. continues. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Lots of Avatar in, in our near future. Yeah. And Avatar is still selling. I mean, it, it yeah. was kind of like we were going to get on and uh, it didn't seem like the moment passed because it kept breaking records as we yeah. went. Like as over of, two billion yeah <laughs> as of insane. like last week it passed infinity war i believe so it's kind of yeah. like a you know it's still yeah. a very present topic people are seeing this movie yeah. and it's well and, and it's it's real funny that you say that too because you know and obviously like in the film critic sphere you see something you enjoy it maybe you go back and watch a few times but there's so much happening all at once that you know you it's you like it's easy to lose track of you know what's still in theaters and what isn't because we're moving on to the next thing and we're you know there's just a lot there a lot of moving pieces you know and i i saw avatar twice when it came out 
you know, my son was very excited to watch it on digital when it, when that was happening, you know, but because of everything I just laid out, you know, and it's April, we're, we're getting into the swing of 2023 film, you know? And so I had a, a pair of friends reach out to me last week and they're like, uh, we went to, or we got to see Avatar the way of water finally. Hmm. And my initial thought was, is it out on digital? And I missed it. <laughs> is like, it? I thought it was on video already. <laughs> and it was like, no, we went to the theater to see it. Cause that's, you know, until this last week, as of the day we were recording this anyway, like that was the only time for them to still see that movie was in theaters and it's still making gobs of money. And, and now it's on digital, which of course we bought the day it came out mm-hmm. and we, we are recording this on a Sunday. It, you know, it came out this last Tuesday. So in less than a week, uh, no joke, I've probably seen the film by proxy of my son at least six or seven times <laughs> oh wonderful <laughs> yeah so it's days. just it's on as like like lovely yeah. like aquatic wallpaper in your house <laughs> exactly. at this point exactly it's like the exactly. fireplace during christmas yeah. Yeah, it's just always on yeah it's just always yeah. there yeah <laughs> um, and it's nice aesthetic to have on in the background and kind of like just get yeah exactly it. maybe that's yeah. a one of avatar's purposes it's just kind uh, of a film you live with a hundred percent living situation. Uh-huh. Um, did you take your son to the theater at all to see it? Yeah. So that was actually kind of uh, one of the interesting things about this last week, because my, my oldest is seven and um, you know, he had never really been to a movie of that length before, you know, right. we go to yeah, a lot long. of kids movies, but those are like what 90 minutes, a lot of them. And so I, we tried to prep him. It was going to be three hours. And uh, and in 3D, we watched the whole thing in 3D. And to his credit, he did very, very, very good. Okay. The, yeah. the he, you know, it's, for those that have seen it, you'll, you'll know, like, it ends on, like, this really um, poignant emotional beat, right? And right before the funeral sequence, he's like, I got to go to the bathroom. So we're three hours in, and like at the at the height of the emotion of what's happening, he's like, "That's what he has to go." So my wife took him, and that's the part they missed. So they missed from the funeral sequence, which is only like what from that to end credits is what a minute, maybe a minute and a half. Yeah. So you know, he, he didn't really get to he didn't miss all that much, but what he did miss was significant emotionally, anyway. So I was excited when we watched it for the first time this last Tuesday, you know, for them to kind of experience the whole film and then also get to see the ending. So that was, that was part of the fun, but yeah. So on Tuesday, that was our technically our second, our second revisiting of the film, but now we've seen it a thousand times. So yay. (laughs) I'm taking my daughter into Mario tomorrow. So it's, it's so great that we get to share these things with our kids. Yeah. Yeah. And that adds so much with a a figure like Cameron, who I, you know, went to with, with my dad, you know, Terminator and, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, there's some lineage there where these directors that we grew up with, we uh, pass them on in some way. That you know, and I hadn't even thought about that, but yeah, Cameron's films were pretty big when I was Sam's age, your daughter's mm-hmm. age. Like he he was making films then that our parents got to take us to, and now here we yeah. are a generation later, and I'm getting to do that with my son. 
I hadn't even really put it in those terms, but yeah, that is pretty fascinating. It must have been Terminator 2, looking at my age and what my dad would have been doing at that point. But sure. uh, yeah. that and Titanic, of course, just because yeah. everyone uh, saw mm-hmm. Titanic at some point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just always been around. And I think it's so interesting that we're going to look at his career arc because he's one of the only modern directors who goes up every time. Like he levels up every time he makes a film. It's more <laughs> yeah. budget. Uh, yeah, there's like one like one example where maybe it goes down and he doesn't make more money than anyone in the world but uh, <laughs> sure. besides yeah. besides that one it's just an escalation which makes it really insane to look at in a bubble for me mm-hmm. yeah um, you've you've watched all of them right like uh i've seen them all yeah and, okay and i've seen a lot of them pretty recently because last year last summer i believe it was Leading up to The Way of Water, uh, two of the guys on our podcast did a James Cameron movie series, you know, where they talked about all of all of his films. So um, while I didn't participate in all of those conversations, I did revisit the films to follow Mm -hmm. along with it. So I am pretty fresh on Goat Cameron at the moment. (laughs) That was the most enjoyable part of being on your show. You calling him James the Goat Cameron. Every every reference is uh, endearing. You have to. Uh, (laughs) He's earned it at this point. (laughs) Okay, so you've even gone back. You've done the Piranha, or is that a little bit outside? No, I I didn't. So Piranha was the only one I didn't watch for the movie series last year. I have seen it. It's been a long time. Um, not but that is find the only one I'm not out about recently. it, are you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so like I, I think part of my hesitation, you know, with it last summer, and and I kind of went back and forth with this uh, with Ryan and Jay, who kind of spearheaded that that movie series for us because they are of the mind that hey, if your name is on paper the director of that film, then it's part of your legacy. And I don't agree with that notion because Piranha 2, if if you read the backstory, you know the context. He did not direct that film. He was barely a part of it. He was fired pretty early on in the process. His name is really only there as um, as quote-unquote director because of the, the contractual uh, nature of it. But aside from that, uh, one of the producers ghost directed that movie and that's pretty out in the open that's not any sort of secret so that that is far from being his movie i don't count that as a james cameron movie so i don't really like when people want to have a conversation about him or you know in the exercise we did last year having a james cameron movie series like i had no inclination to go back and watch that i just don't consider that a james cameron movie he barely had anything to do with it yeah it was uh Asan Asanitis, I think, is the director there, and he was a uh, part mm-hmm. of the Corman branch. Which we look at Corman, and it's not disreputable so much because so yeah. many technicians like Scorsese, Coppola came from that kind of yeah. like headspace of like, mm-hmm. um, it was like if you make a good Corman film, you could go make your own projects and have like the biggest career. But if you make a bad sure. Corman film, you're always going to be in that space. Uh, <laughs> yeah and yeah you know there had been the joe Dan- dante uh piranha mm-hmm. film which was yeah. a straight like jaws parody which is funny because jaws is like a satire already um <laughs> sure. so it's hard to like parody a satire exactly but uh i know <laughs> world word space that is 
Yeah, for sure. So like uh, Cameron was like a technician working on like a Corman film and was like finding mm -hmm. like easy solutions to their problems. They're like, we'll just put you at the helm of this. But but that didn't quite mean very much when you have a guy like Asinitis who's like, I'm just going to take over production. And yeah. you know, Cameron like wanted to like fight his way back in and get the like final edit. But yeah, as you say, he was like fired pretty early on and his efforts didn't like amount to him coming back in, which uh, yeah. I so like my in my mind, I don't think we rank it with with the full bulk of them. I, think I we, yeah, I don't. I mean, if I was going to it'd be last, but you watch it like it has no Cameron fingerprint on that movie. Hmm. It begins like, in the just, water. That's, <laughs> except for that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's filmed like very dimly in the water and then, you know, uh, yeah, there's, there's sex and B movie, like a ephemera about it. And none of that seems like Cameron's interest going on. Um, no, just the water uh, is the one That's uh, it. connective tissue. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, if Cameron wanted to go back and and kind of remake that movie, I feel like in a lot of ways it does tailor to his sensibilities if he wanted to, yeah. you know, treat that seriously. But I mean, obviously that's never going to happen. And yeah, that film is just way out of his hands. So. Oh yeah. And uh, besides like you, it's just a uh, for higher job anyway, if it, even if yeah. he had done it, exactly. It, yeah. It doesn't mean that it would have been more than like, you know, Scorsese doing like boxcar Bertha or something. It's not going to be mm -hmm. a, um, it's not going to be their finest work. You're going to put it low on the list mm -hmm. anyway. So I think we, I think we just move forward into like his. I think it's, it makes it much more monumentous to call the Terminator like a premiere, like a first. I, I agree. I, I think, I think you can call it a directorial debut because that is really the, the first time he had helmed a movie from beginning to end and mm -hmm. was a part of the process the entire way, which is what directors do. Right. So, I mean, it's, I mean, maybe it, it really isn't a whole lot different. I think than a, a director kind of being part of a different film as like some sort of an assistant or support. And you're seeing how the process works without actually directing, but you're on set, you kind of have an idea of what to do. So when you get your hands on on material where you actually get to do it you know you you kind of have an idea of of where to take it i i don't think it's really a whole lot different from that really i think the uh, one thing you could say that it's evolved from from piranha is like what if i got full vision on a horror film and it were actually a true horror film like what if i came out yeah. of the corman camp and made like an authentic carpenter type um, sure. I, I find that the first Terminator is kind of a slasher, a very strange slasher yeah. in that uh, yeah. it has it kind of is Schwarzenegger, in a lot of yeah. uh, who, who we associate with the Terminator. But in a way, we're kind of rooting for Arnold because of his bulk of like Cinemori's the American mm -hmm. hero, like a yeah. very strange, like Michael Myers isn't played by a, you know, he's played by bulky dudes, but they're not bodybuilders from austria with like strange lines of dialogue and you know like mm. they, they don't have characteristics and style and like they're not the center of the movie <laughs> they're often like off like almost looking in the movie whereas like arnold's very yeah. much a star i i agree i think that's a great way to look at it and it's more horror-ish uh than the what the franchise would become later on 
but I, I, I like that approach. It has a tensity to it. And you're right in the sense that Arnold, the character he plays, while tonally speaking, dramatically, the film in many respects plays out like a slasher, but he doesn't have the aura of a typical slasher villain. No. And and you think about the iconic stature of many slasher villains and they, none of them evoked a kind of ethos that you get with the Terminator. There, there is something compelling and captivating about him that you're not necessarily rooting for him, but you're not rooting against him either, which is a sleight of hand that I feel like Cameron is, is very good at. Almost or when at he the arrives. Least, I mean, did you did you think the first time you saw it, like when he arrives and he's Arnold Schwarzenegger and he has all that iconography, did you feel like he was the villain? I don't especially feel like he's the villain at the start of the movie. Uh, no. I mean, I would have caught up with it, to be fair, sometime later. Because when it came out... When he starts taking guns. and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, I probably would have been closer to high school, which for okay. me would have been like the late 90s. So I, I, I would have caught up with it much later than, than a lot of others. But even with the, you know, the iconic stature of Arnold at that time, maybe maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's just that Cameron magic uh, or, or a combination of all, all of the above. But yeah, when he first shows up, I didn't. To your point, I don't. I didn't really see him as the the central antagonist. Something that we need to be afraid of, even though the character is is very much that in a lot yeah, of ways. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. There's also this sense of like him becoming like a almost like uh, maybe from like the comics, you could say like an Iron Man. Like he wants to make a metal man out of like this this machine. And something about uh, Arnold seems so um superhuman already like his bulk is just like mm-hmm. only this one guy fits this role in a very curious way that that he really hasn't before we didn't have stars like arnold before arnold yeah uh, i mean you had like uh seagal and you know like the, this whole class of like bulky 80s heroes but i don't feel like they were there in the 70s and and the mm-hmm. 60s horror especially um yeah and uh, we were thinking of horror mostly as like suburban like stories and kind of a paranoia as we moved to the suburbs from the cities and yep. uh, people were like thinking about their security and their homes going into the 80s. But then uh, things like Terminator, the, I mean, it's I think it's also an action movie. I mean, it's not just yeah. horror slasher. It just it mm-hmm. has enough of those vibes. You could almost like prescribe like those tendencies to it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it takes a lot of the fascinating tropes and ideas from conventional slashers, but ups the ante in terms of atmosphere and uh, setting, you know, where it's, it isn't suburbia here. We're getting into, you know, sci-fi, you have to keep your mother safe kind of stuff. Like, it, it, it is kind of fascinating in that regard. Um, but I, I love how Cameron works within genre. He, he's, he's the master, the go-to, if you will, I think of playing into convention, but doing it in such a compelling way that the convention never seems obvious to you. Or even when it does, you're still completely and utterly engrossed by it. Mm. And I think Terminator is really all of the above because it, 
it doesn't really stray away from trope at all. But what it does do is it offers something new aesthetically. It takes those tropes and kind of reinvents the wheel and how we can utilize them, which I think is great. And then you include someone like Arnold for the reasons we're talking about. And all of a sudden there's a little bit of ambiguity with how you're supposed to feel about these characters, which was, you know, at least for a lot of other films, more black and white. Um, and you know, that's what makes it so great. And and then you consider the tone of it as well. I know a lot of people think of T2 as the best film in that franchise. And maybe mm. it is, but I, I will champion the Terminator as being as good as T2. I think it's pretty great. And, and still to this day, one of Cameron's best, I think. I had a big bias toward T2 until like more recently I've came back to them and now I kind of hold them in the same esteem as well. Uh, I think uh, mm. as you're saying, Hey, uh, as uh, Cameron works on other ideas. I want to like position him in in like my mind and in perspective of him as like the greatest iterator in movies. Um, mm-hmm. You look over his whole career and he is incredible at sequels, but also you look down the line of the films we're talking about and you could see the total iteration of like what Cameron movies are. Again, apart yeah. from one or two, I, I think it's just like a, a straight like upward trajectory of uh, mm-hmm. a budget and uh, what he can do with it so uh, right away here he wasn't offered the biggest budget he wanted to make a film set in the future and he didn't have the budget for it so he said it in present day and that ended up being an ingenious like time traveling premise yeah. for him <laughs> uh, he kind of fell into yeah. that and that's and it's pretty incredible like you think of movies like that or of course the the classic narrative behind jaws Sometimes filmmakers are at their best when they're forced to get creative. Mm, you know, absolutely. a lot of a lot of filmmakers will get that money. And we'll certainly talk about this with Cameron as we go, who's not as much a victim of this. But, you know, filmmakers can sometimes get caught in that wheel of I have a lot of money here. I'm just going to, you know, I don't have to get outside of my creative bubble because I can just manage. I can just throw more money at the problems. Mm-hmm. and yeah. and Cameron certainly did not have it here Spielberg did not have that with Jaws and and sometimes that makes for the best kind of movie and I do love how he's able to create this sci-fi element this futuristic ambiance while a lot of it is just takes place in modern day <laughs> and using modern day technology uh I, yeah it's, you- it's great when you cast Arnold, he almost is a special effect. Like his yeah. presence <laughs> is almost, you would yeah. uh, CG someone to look like him today if you could. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, and you realize like the Terminators he's not in, you feel the aesthetic difference. It, his presence is so commanding already. Well, yeah. And that's the thing, like with the other actors and actresses around him, this taking place in the United States. And of course he has that thick accent that without having to add any sort of visual effect, he feels out of this world. Oh yeah. He really does like his, of course the physicality of him, but the accent, just his whole persona thrown into the mix of Americanism as we see in this film. And he is, he's so he's clearly distinctive from everything else that, yeah, it does make him an alien of sorts. Uh, and and that works brilliantly in the film. 
and speaking of alien and aliens, um, my favorite mm -hmm. film franchise of all time is Alien. I have such an affinity for each entry. It's one where I even recognize the bad entries and what people have against them. And I'm like, I don't, I don't see it. I mean, I, I see what people say and I understand why they say it, but I watch those movies and I have so much fun with the aesthetic purpose of alien and aliens and into like even alien three, like a curse movie like that. I could have so much fun. That's another mm -hmm. example, by the way, is someone just getting something pulled away from them. Like the David Fincher version could be so yeah. interesting, but producer control often overcomes uh directoral vision. Um, mm -hmm. And I always kind of wonder like how, Cameron went from like one film right into like aliens, like one of the greatest sequel moves of all time. And it's <laughs> yeah. so fun when a new director takes on the sequel and it ends up amazing. Like uh, you look at mm -hmm. uh, like famously star Wars, of course, and, and James Cameron, like star Wars is one of the things he saw that like made him when he was like going in to become a tech, want to make these kinds of movies. And uh, sure. uh, you know, like the second star Wars, of course, not a, george lucas movie famously and that's uh sure you can make a great sequel and not be the guy who came up with the idea uh, yeah i and i think what makes aliens brilliant and first of all let me just go ahead and throw this out there that aliens is my favorite james cameron movie okay i think it is brilliant it is a masterpiece in its own right and i love alien alien is also a masterpiece and arguably ridley scott's best movie it is yeah. Scott's best movie. It is. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, but while Aliens is different than Ridley Scott's movie, I think it is also a masterpiece. And I think part of what heightens Aliens for me above the rest of Cameron's filmography, because even those that are pro James Cameron, and I'm one of those, I love James Cameron, is the GOAT. But I think we can all admit, not the greatest writer. Great director. His writing can certainly leave some room to be desired at times. Yes. <laughs> Especially dialogue. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and and maybe there's a few instances here and there, even in Aliens, where the dialogue isn't super great. But I think <laughs> on the whole, the writing in Aliens is by far his best, especially, especially on a thematic level. The film's ideas on motherhood and how so much of that, I in infer anyway, being wholly intentional and how it juxtaposes the masculinity, the phallic nature of Alien uh, and the symbolism of what that film was doing. Here, James Cameron completely subverts that, leaves the phallic nature of Alien behind and embraces womanhood embraces motherhood and not just with Ripley, but with the queen alien as well. And those parallels at play here, I think are incredible. It is such a phenomenal fusion of Cameron's directing and the prowess he brings in that regard, but also what he brings as a writer here, I think is, I, I don't think to date he's quite matched it. Although I, I think it gets kind of close in the way of water. Maybe we'll get to that later. But I think the the writing, the fusion of writing and directing here is by far the best we've seen from him today. Uh, and so for me, this is the, the, the thematic foundation of Aliens 
I think is as good as Alien. To me, it is very potent. It is very moving. Uh, it's dramatically riveting as well. Very it, captivating. Uh, the performances here are stunning as well. So, like, it's to, to me, this just encapsulates the very best of what James Cameron has to offer, and and not just as a filmmaker, but at, to your point earlier, like in terms of what you can do with sequels, um, and and how you can up the ante. I think he does that impeccably with Aliens. When I watched it in November, all I wrote down, a very short review, nobody makes sequels like Aliens and Terminator <laughs> 2 anymore. Nobody did yeah. before they were made either, but they still don't. That seems <laughs> especially true to me that yeah. these, like they weren't yeah. just making movies like Aliens before Aliens. And they never made ma- movies like Aliens after Aliens because mm-hmm. Alien 3 to Prometheus to Covenant is not Aliens in a way. Uh, so yeah, uh, the original pitch meeting, he went in and he wrote Alien down on a napkin or something and then a dollar sign after it. And that's how the title became Aliens. The producer saw <laughs> yeah. that. And yeah, that's yeah I funny. heard that story. That's so good. <laughs> and that Just- is... That's what makes Cameron one of the the best filmmakers out there. Is those kinds of stories. Alien plus give me money is like Cameron's <laughs> pitch, essentially. I love it. Love and we it. get to like a, the producers are like, but you shouldn't make the movie. And they say if it's you know if it's good, Ridley gets all the credit, and if it's bad, it's your fault. And uh, yeah, that's the line I disagree with. I think I think sequels should be made by other people in some way eventually. Um, mm-hmm. Because he works with such a massive team on the avatars and it's such a, a almost one thing in the way that Kill Bill is like one movie. I think the avatar story mm-hmm. is, is so singular that it, it can work with one guy. But but we saw it with like the Phantom Menace on through like Revenge of the Sith, like maybe pass it on eventually. Uh, maybe yeah. give it to other people. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, and that can certainly have some give and take to it, depending on producers and how much they want to get involved because alien three famously had a tr- very troubled production. Uh, but I, I, I agree with you, especially because from a filmmaker's perspective, unless they just absolutely love this material and never want to get a- away from it, you do kind of worry about burnout and how things can become stale over time, which is why kind of, having your one slice and then kind of leaving it to another is, is generally not a bad idea. I'm certainly not against it, you know, but on the same token, you have the argument of Terminator and then T2 and the vision there or something like Kill Bill as you noted. So, you know, the argument can certainly swing both ways, uh, which is why like, you know, at the end of the day, just make good movies. Yes. (laughs) I think it just kind of comes back to that. Please. (laughs) Yeah, and 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 again, I just come back to what I love so much about Aliens is that James Cameron did not in any way want to regurgitate Alien. Yeah. As much as he might love that film, as much as he might respect Ridley Scott, he did not want to do that film all over again. Um, and so tonally, it's it's a little bit more lighthearted, at least throughout a lot of it. It's more action oriented than alien which is functioning more as a horror film ironically to terminator like terminator is really more in line stylistically and tonally to really scott's alien but this is you know upping the ante in terms of we're, we're branching out in terms of the lore we're branching out in terms of the action 
but from a, a writing narrative perspective, he it's like Alien is sort of like through like a ghostly presence kind of lingering in the background because everything he does here narratively is to subvert what that film is doing and, and try to show us the other side of that coin that I think is, is really great. And not just in terms of the womanhood, but I think of the governmental bureaucracy at play here, which tethers heavily to Ridley Scott's movie. But again, we're kind of branching out a little bit more and how that kind of relates to control and womanhood, how those things tether together. I think the bureaucracy at the core of this film is very important in that regard. Um, and and I think it even circles back to the Queen Alien as well. Uh, and and there's just some really great parallels that I love. So yeah, a- Aliens is great. It it is hands down one of the best sequels of all time, if not mm-hmm. the best sequel ever made. It's a fantastic anti-war film like you talk about the bureaucracy and if you do a really deep reading on what's happening in alien you could go down so many deep paths like Uh what this means about war and conflict and and you could even start to see what's forming for the avatars later on um and you see the fit for cameron before he was a technician he was a trucker and alien famously is like truckers in space doing you know like uh prison shit like deep in in yeah. galaxy and uh you could kind of see the fit as you say terminator was almost a action movie and how action can become horror in a way this is how horror can become an excellent action movie with grim like industrialized aesthetics and you know large guns mm-hmm. and and you have like famous gifs of like people like just turning around with their with their massive machine guns as big as their bodies and yeah um like that yeah. uh, 80s <laughs> aesthetic and like kind of silliness of war and um like mm-hmm. over emphasizing of like machinery and how it like accompanies us into war and like that's all such a um, indictment against like what the government's doing and how we're operating in war zones and i think that all carries through the avatar in some really brilliant ways it has a lot of aliens designed ships and uh, uh, aesthetics that almost fit into this world you could almost see them intersecting in some ways um Mm -hmm. you could almost see the avatar to aliens um pipeline uh between his works Uh, (laughs) yeah yeah i i I completely agree yeah i really love aliens it's uh Again, like Alien, Aliens are some of my favorite films generally. So it's sure. it's going to be hard to rank anything above either in either filmography. But uh, I mean, whichever one I'm watching is the one I prefer. It's uh, the same as yeah, the Terminator. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm with Terminator. you on that. Um, yeah. The proposition is whatever one you're watching is the most uh, incredible film uh, in that series. Um mm-hmm. And from Aliens, he's kind of got some clout now because uh, people didn't believe he could do it the second time. Like, how are you going to follow Terminator and become the guy who ups Ridley Scott, who's like a legend already at this point? Mm. Um, How are you going to top him? And then you do, and you're like, okay, let's just give you a budget to do whatever you want. And Cameron's like, what if I make a weird underwater movie about aliens that's just like indecipherable to most people? Or... uh, Mm -hmm. uh, and also inaccessible for long stretches of time. The abyss has been, uh, yeah, it, it took me a long time to get to see this movie. Yeah. I same here. And I, I hadn't seen it up until 
or at least uh so i probably saw it the first time again around high school ish i want to okay. say earlier you for know, you it, it, it's very recent for me uh yeah regrettably but, but the, okay so so that but i hadn't seen the film in a long time until uh i guess yeah around the movie series last year but i will say this on a revisit so much of the film played out like a first time experience in some ways. Like I, there was a lot about it aside from maybe some of the performances and the, some of the stuff you see at the end, like a lot of it, I'd kind of forgotten about, but in terms of a character dynamic and interaction in terms of the water, I mean, a lot of it certainly I think is classic James Cameron in yeah. a lot of ways you know kind of getting to to revisit it so it, yeah in a lot of ways it was kind of a weird experience because when i got to see it last year it, it really was like a first time watch but you're getting to watch it through the prism of knowing a lot more about cameron as a filmmaker and even in his personal life and and also thinking about some of the production stories around the best which are at least in, in the film sphere, in the cinephile sphere, kind of well-known, or at least, you know, for those that do know it, I, I feel like these have, have um, they do have some some power behind them. So you think of uh, the underwater scenes and how dangerous some of them were. Like, you know. I, yeah, I, my response just watching it for the first time last year, shockingly, was that it was a, like an unethical impossibility like nobody should be allowed to make this movie and it feels dangerous it looks dangerous it is dangerous it's the kind of things yeah. people say about avatar and try to uh approach that which they can do uh but which is a critique like um you shouldn't have to hold your breath underwater for five minutes to be an actor or something like uh that's yeah. not safe like uh we shouldn't ask our actors to do that and we understand it's a job they're stuntmen actors can do their own stunts but uh you look at like what's happening here and, and <laughs> you kind of buy into it because it feels like the, the danger is yeah. a bit real for these characters. Well, and, and that's the thing. Cause like, and I, I don't know what it's like technically speaking to get these shots and the importance of doing it practically um, with actors having to hold their breath for that long. And, and I, and I pose that because not just with the abyss and Ed Harris, if I'm not mistaken, has you know forever stated he'll never work with James and never get yeah, yes. the abyss. You know, but even when they were promoting Avatar the Way of Water, like Sigourney Weaver and uh I forget some of the other actors and actresses were saying the same thing. Like for this movie, we had to learn to hold our breath for five and six minutes. And I think there was the Kate Winslet saying, one where people yeah, were Kate shocked. Winslet, yeah, she yeah. was the other one kind of saying that as well. And and but they, you know, when they were promoting the way of water, they weren't saying it as a negative, like this was a terrible experience. They just were it was something they had to do in order to make that movie. You know, and other movies like Tom Cruise, I think has said this. He said this about one of the Mission Impossibles. He had to learn to hold his breath for six minutes for one of the shots mm -hmm. in one of in one of those movies. So like actors have certainly done this over the years. And I wonder, like. You know, because when we see the actual film, it's not like we're seeing actors underwater for five minutes at a time. We're not. Yeah, 
<laughs> so like these shots are like what 20 30 seconds so like is it really necessary to push I, those boundaries and maybe the answer is yes i don't know but that's right. why i posed the question the defense is that it's safer to film in these short sequences if they can do that if they uh, can do that then you're not as worried about what their capacity will be under the water is like the defense but i don't know if it do i need that like i look at the little mermaid in films that are like digitally shot underwater i'm like oh god yeah. like it's so dark you can't and then yeah. i saw you exactly, know, like yeah. black panther 2 and next to avatar and i was like there's such a huge difference that maybe it maybe it's worth it for an aesthetic vision or it has to be that way for Cameron, yeah. Um, well, and, and we know Cameron loves to shoot water and loves to be in the water, so he's going to do as much of it practically as possible. Marvel, they just you know they're not interested in doing things practically. That that whole world is created around people with abilities that are, you know, and they go to space. So like, yeah, I, I'm not necessarily looking for the same thing looking for that in a marvel movie i think it is silly for uh, for anyone not just critics anyone to expect marvel to adhere to physics and, and adhere to trying to do things practically it just isn't what they're doing cameron mm -hmm. on the other hand even with something like avatar because avatar like that that whole both of those films are working as allegories for things that are happening on earth Right. Like it's pretty easy to see what he's doing symbolically in those movies. Mm. And Pandora is a very earth like planet. So you can do things practically in something like Avatar, aside from the, the designs of the Navi themselves, that clearly has to come from the, the world of CGI. But in terms of what those characters are capable of, what they can interact with, you can do a lot of that practical because Pandora is an Earth-like planet, Guardians of the Galaxy, doesn't have that luxury. <laughs> so <laughs> you true. know, like again, you're working with two different worlds in that way. But that, but Cameron, I, you know, circling it back to to him, you know, he, he, I think he designed Pandora uh, very specifically because he wants it to function like Earth. He wants the characters to interact like they're on Earth, and obviously, symbolically, it is Earth. You know, given what those films are doing narratively and, and thematically. So, um, you know, and, and then with the, you know, something like The Abyss, obviously he wanted to do as much practically as possible. Uh, and I guess that means actors have to be in the water for six minutes at a time for whatever we said. I, I don't know. But to your point, it, it, that could be dangerous. Thankfully, nothing uh, <laughs> didn't get to an extreme, thankfully. Yeah. Nobody's but, died on the sets of his yet. Um, yeah. But is it worth pushing those boundaries? I, yeah. I don't know. I guess that depends on who you ask. I guess if the idea is that it's for safety, I guess that means that you're doing something about it so you could safely shoot those things if you have to do them practically. Uh, but mm -hmm. at the same time, <laughs> because we don't have historical examples, we're kind of just working off James Cameron's films and we're like, this is the only guy who's going to require his uh, actors to really go down in vessels and then, you know, uh, really shoot it underwater. Uh, mm -hmm. This whole history of, of Hollywood movies on the sea, um, you know, mm -hmm. they're in boats. They're not, <laughs> uh, there's not a lot of like nautical uh, movies that were actually shot underwater. Mm -hmm. 
what what do you think about the abyss we've talked a lot about the production but what did you what do you think of the actual movie there's something so stunning about like the evocation of the aliens it it comes so Mm. much at the end before it gets a little bit silly and they're like rising out of the water and and all that symbolism but uh it's something close to like what i love about the arrival um the denis villeneuve uh, movie Mm-hmm. Uh, just like the way that we're interfacing with aliens and now he's swimming down there with them. You could find the links to Avatar, of course, and all this, but um, yeah, nobody else would make the movie. And that's the kind of movie I like. It's so thrilling when someone creates something that, that could only really come from them. And like uh, this huge budget uh, without like a, I don't know like what the log line would be for like the casual viewer at the time. Like this is the only mm-hmm. one that we're going to look at that, technically lost money <laughs> that we're going to yeah. consider a James Cameron project. But uh, since then it's also become like a object of like cult fascination as well. Like among the like Cameron acolytes and the people who like look up to this kind of thing. Um, nothing mm-hmm. else really feels true the way that the abyss feels true when it's underwater. Like you look at his, um, his ex wife's like submarine movie or um Mm-hmm. the k19 or whatever that is uh and it you never feel like you're underwater in most of those movies you you yeah. feel like you're in a set that's a submarine it, the abyss is different in so many ways i think it's good it's not my favorite movie but yeah i i'm with you in the sense that i i don't dislike it i i do think it's good i think it's far from great and perhaps the abyss at least for me because again, watching it last year was almost like a first time experience again, but I watched it within the context of this movie series. So, you know, I had seen um, up until that point, had seen the Terminator or had revisited aliens and you watch those two movies and then comes the abyss and it's this huge deflating effect. <laughs> like you've really come down from the mountain uh, do. top comparatively and then immediately following, you get into T2, True Lies, Titanic, and you're climbing back up the mountaintop again. And it, and so it feels like maybe my feelings of it are lesser on it than what it probably should be on its own terms, if that mm. makes sense. So The Abyss is something I probably should revisit away from a Cameron conversation, <laughs> just kind of on its own terms, nothing surrounding it where I can just kind of focus on the film itself. Uh, because get, I mean, when you're watching it from that prism, it, it feels so much lesser comparatively. Um, but I, I do think it's good in terms of the practicality of the filmmaking, despite the controversy surrounding it, what we see visually on screen and in terms of the production design, I think it's all very good. And dramatically, I think, you know, obviously this is set or like around the Cold War, I believe. And I think all of that functions pretty well here. Maybe my other biggest criticism of this film uh, really comes a lot uh, back to that Cameron writing, especially the dialogue. I understand that this is a little bit of a product of its time. But when you watch it through the lens and, and the prism of how we see and discuss things today, a lot of the dialogue here is uh, abrasive 
very very offensive (laughs) yeah like it's it's a lot of underwater jargon and yeah offensive and and unnecessary yeah and i mean like the the jabs at uh the female characters here especially it's uh it's it's a little bit of a tough watch from that perspective the the jargon itself i I, like i love it when a movie just throws us jargon without explaining it (laughs) i love that stuff I don't mind, you know, yeah. If it if it works, if it doesn't feel yeah clunky, and if you don't yeah, get if lost, it feels authentic, like it feels authentic to the world, and it's not just jargon the whole time, obviously, right? Uh, but like I, I'm I'm very much okay with that. Uh, like Nolan, I think is very good at that. Uh, and, so like I I'm 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 okay with with the jargon. My issue is more so like some of the camaraderie some of the the damage and, and the 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 verbal sparring is a little cringy by today's standards um but you know and dramatically i don't know if it's quite as compelling to me as some of these others but it, it's i don't think it's bad i don't think the abyss is bad it's you know just hard to decipher i guess when you compare it to other other cameron films I think it's most significant place is just in the context of like in industrial light and magic, which started with like star Wars and kind of yes. leveling that up into like a incredible thing that could work within naturalistic environments too, instead of just mm-hmm. special effects. It was like the first time ILM became like a blend of like the natural world mm-hmm. and uh, creating gorgeous, like computer effects that looked like practical within those worlds. Um, so it, it was a big like effects movie, which uh, I think we'll find is uh, at the heart as Cameron was a technician first and kind of approaches yeah. movies from like this uh, very smart, like uh, advanced technological perspective. And he always makes it work. Uh, you mm-hmm. you could bet against Cameron, but you'd better be advised not to, I think, because uh, you, you're not going to win. I mean, he's going to always win and always get his effects done the way that he foresaw yep. them so uh that was a huge advancement in computer imagery so um mm-hmm. in that I way the abyss is really important um but as like watching a movie it's kind of like yeah the story is just not all there but, you know there's a plot and the plot's interesting in the way that they're you know going through all the motions of what it would be like underwater and how it is to exist down there and i'm i'm kind of glued to that but could i keep re- re-watching it i don't know like it it takes a while to get to those aliens and and those uh, really out there places it goes. Um, yeah, yeah. Whereas the next film, Terminator Two, it's just like all in right away. You get everything yeah. you need. Uh, it's it's in service of action the whole way. It kind of drops like most of the horror context from Terminator and just makes maybe you know the most prototypical best action movie, the best kind of action movie you can make. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Terminator Two considered to be one of the best action films of all time, uh, and I think it, in a lot of ways, earns its reputation. Like, like I said, I've I've come around to that first one quite a bit. I, I've championed it. I I think it's as good as T Two, but I don't know what else to say about T Two that hasn't already been said. <laughs> like, it's, yeah, we don't it's really great in on. terms of the the stunts and the action set pieces. Uh, it's fun like it, it's it's really fun like you're saying he he dropped the tone of the first terminator this is uh more of um a conventional action film and from a tonal sense and and i think that works great here 
Like I, I love the, the fun of this movie certainly complements a lot of what it's doing uh, dramatically. And then of course, the way it utilizes Arnold, like it kind of takes that ambiguity we talked about of T2 and almost brings it around to the other side where this time we're full on rooting for Arnold in, yeah. in this film. So yeah, he becomes you know. the thing we thought he was. Exactly. Uh, it, it plays into yeah. that, that known context of who he could be by moving away from, you know, the horror elements. It kind of makes it an awards contender. It gets, some non nominations which is like a, it, mm-hmm. it's one of those action movies or genre cinema that that can really break through it got six nominations for the oscars and it's like this is actually a a legitimate movie legitimized by the industry and it's great when craft and things like that um could really break through uh it was also another expansion of industrial light and uh, magic and uh, just uh, you could get into tech for all the camera movies. It's kind of a problem when we're talking about each of them back to back because we could just like trace like technological development because at this point, like industrial light and magic expand their team like fivefold and uh, all the effects mm-hmm. work it shows in and we don't have to get into like the nuance of that. But also this is a well-written movie in the way that a camera movie can be well-written and fun. Um, I, yeah. I heard that is just making it a movie, like like playing into the parts that you really want to watch. Uh, screenplay is not just like dialogue, right? Like it's it's staging scenes and creating like a, a flowing context of what Terminator could be. And it's compelling. Mm-hmm. No, I, I completely agree. I think the, uh, the Sarah John relationship is fleshed out very well. I love that from a writing perspective as well. Um, and so like, I, I do, I do think the film does a great job of having like this tough outer shell that, you know, is fun, really well choreographed, but I, I do think that the characters and some of this comes back to the performance as well, but the way they're written on paper, it, it, it keeps them grounded mm. in a way that, that makes the film poignant at times that makes them very relatable and tangible. Like they don't feel like characters that are completely out of bounds to what they need to be here. And given what this is from a genre perspective, it maybe it would be easy for these characters to just be out of this world. And, and that could still work given the sci-fi nature of the film, but I love that tangibility of them. I do think there are some good emotional beats here that, have credence to them um and 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 again it's also very funny at times like i just i love the fun of the movie so like it's just really well balanced like this is cameron taking that money and and as we said earlier like a lot of directors might falter and in getting more money and just throwing that at the problems and maybe he did that a little bit here. I don't know, but mm-hmm. the final product is really great. This was what a hundred million dollar budget, which at the time was unheard of. You know, that's yeah. that's small potatoes today. <laughs> and <laughs> you know, it's Babylon those... had a ninety million dollar budget for crying out loud. So, <laughs> Fuck. yeah, it's one of those things where you could see it on the screen here in a way, like scene to scene. Yeah. You might not in Babylon. You might, yeah, you might yeah. like see Terminator Two and be like, yeah, that was a hundred million dollar movie. I, I see every dollar that you know it looks like more sometimes it 
uh, it mm -hmm. looks like more movies because of smart decisions being made on a technical level. And he's so yeah. proficient at using those budgets. Whereas today, I think we get like um, a deal, like the one going around for Nancy Myers, where it was like $130 million was mostly going to like Scarlett Johansson for a rom-com. Like we, we make a budget yeah. for an actor and, and we pay an actor and then we have nothing left for the, for the tech side, the craft of the movie. Uh, yeah. It's so evident here through like the chases and like the final, you know, melting the, the uh, just all the yes. big scenes that like stay in your mind. Like you think of Terminator two and you, you could, you envision like these cool, really, you know, I mean, I was a kid in the nineties and, what could have been cooler than Terminator 2? It it just had like this aura around it that it looked big and expensive. And again, this is back to James Cameron being successful for the rest of his career uh, and yeah. the foreseeable future because uh, uh, you adjust for inflation. This is still the highest grossing uh, R-rated movie that we've ever had. So mm. uh, domestically. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, it's a huge deal just still. Just another record that Cameron holds. <laughs> How many financial records does he hold? Possibly most <laughs> all of them. them at yeah. this point. All yeah, no, that one. No, I, I completely agree. And, and you make a really great point about T2. And yes, it's been talked to death. It's been analyzed to death. But I think maybe more than anything, it is incredibly memorable. Hmm. Right. Like there, you think about this film and there, there are so many scenes that can come to, to mind, whether it be, you know, the way that uh, the Terminator interacts with John throughout the film. And sometimes it's goofy. Sometimes it's in the action beats or you think about it's villainry here. The, well, the T-1000 is one of the most iconic action villains of all time. Oh, yeah. Like, and you think about the effects of it at the time. I, I think what's crazy is like, I think those effects still hold up pretty well by today's standards. I think they're still just as good as they looked in some ways. I think ways. they're good. Yeah. Maybe even I, better th because you're so is... impressed that it was that done. <laughs> and how yeah. much better it looks than our movies now. Maybe that makes it more impressive. Maybe, maybe. But yeah, I think it holds up very, very well in that regard. And Robert Patrick is just fantastic Yeah, in that role. Uh, so like, yeah, there's so much, like, I think about that, what the flashback scene with, uh, with the explosion, there's everything in like the, what, the, the jail area, the prison, like th there's so much about that film that is memorable. And I hadn't, like, I didn't revisit this film leading up to this conversation. I, what I did watch it last year for the movie series. Um, and obviously I watched it, you know, a fair amount as a kid. But even without revisiting it in the last week, the last month, like I, I just I, I can think of so many scenes of this film that are really great. And and that is an achievement. I mean, that's certainly not not the case with a lot of films, even films I love. I don't know if I could think of a, a bunch of scenes off the top of my head. Yeah, it's, came with T2. it's difficult almost to talk about because it's so memorable. And I think people just know it. I think they know the parts that we would discuss and we could it's kind of like a describe that moment kind of movie where you could just like sit and kind of like say the things that happened and yeah. everyone listening would say yeah those are all incredible but they're almost so known or known to me in my mind that it it almost feels not right to like just keep go going over them like i i think uh the images mm -hmm. of t2 in your head are what the movie is it's 
Yeah. It's true yeah. lies, you could say. The effects are <laughs> that uh Yes. I do not have a transition. True lies is the next movie <laughs> from James Cameron. <laughs> That's as good of a transition. Yeah. Uh I'll take it. Yeah, man, that was really hacked in. Uh <laughs> <laughs> now we get to 94 and Cameron's making uh, possibly another divorce movie maybe all his movies in the 90s all, are divorce movies a lot of them are divorce <laughs> movies which is what makes Avatar such an interesting contradiction <laughs> <laughs> he gets divorced four or five times through his uh, directing career which makes yeah. for a lot of interesting projects um, uh-huh. and, and that's that's why I come back to a lot of the dialogue in the abyss because you know he's going through stuff at that time. Mm-hmm. So part of it is the context of what he's going through. It's the context of how we've evolved over the last 30 years as a society. Because you hear some of the the verbal sparrings toward the female characters in that film. You're like, he is going through it at this moment. Cameron is being cathartic here. And maybe not in a great way, but he's certainly being cathartic. It, it comes through. And it comes through in true lies in a very different way. But it certainly comes through in true lies as well. Yeah. Totally. Um, I maybe True Lies is the lowest I'll be on one that we're including if we disclude, um, Piranha. But uh, okay, to me, uh, it's hard for me to say because in the way that Arnold is such a out there alien, it's hard for in Terminator. I almost get the opposite effect in True Lies, where it's so hard for me to buy into him as a spy or as someone who might be under the radar in any possible way or someone that's a, yeah. a American man that's like a, almost an analogy for American divorce because he's he's so mm-hmm. unique and uh, uh, we had a another one of our shows talked about a I think it's like Hercules in New York with Schwarzenegger you almost need him in like these total <laughs> outsider roles where it's just like yeah this guy seems like he came from the gods or something yeah it <laughs> It almost doesn't make sense. Yeah. I can't. I can hardly buy him as the the real life politician that he became. I I hardly mm-hmm. believe that happened. I hardly believe that he. It, it is pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I yeah. I mean, but you look through the cast. You know, Jamie Lee Curtis is doing some amazing stuff here. Uh, I almost wish you know she were awarded here rather than later. Fair. But yeah. I think this is maybe one of her. Uh, turning point like action roles where he gets she gets away from genre and kind of really establishes what she could do on screen and she holds so much of the movie up for me yeah i think she's really great so my thing with true lies is this i do have it ranked sixth in my rankings but i do really like this movie Mm. i i do like it it's just again it's hard to compete with some of the others above it because they're so uh, legendary and masterful. But I think True Lies is is very good, and it's Cameron's best in terms of levity. There is a shot at the end of this film with our central couple kissing with the nuclear explosion in the background, and it is objectively the funniest thing ever put in a studio action film. (laughs) It is so good. Is he trying is, to be really funny there? Do you think? I think so. Okay. I I think he is trying to be very funny with this movie, and and to me, I think that's what I really appreciate about it, because it is so antithetical to the rest of his filmography. Although there's some good le- levity in T two, as as we just talked about, that's very purposeful. But it's not as if his films are injected with a ton 
of levity, the Avatar films, some, not a ton. Um, what Titanic, no levity, Terminator, yeah. no, sure. no levity, really. So, like, you know, or at least a little. Terminator might be tr- funny for unintentional. I think I think any of those might have unintentional moments. They're like where yeah, sure, sure, uh, sure. It's not the written jokes. It's like you're saying it's, it's these scenes no. that are very funny. Yeah, um, True Lies is unequivocally a comedy in many respects. It is an action comedy. It is trying to be funny, and I think mostly successful. Uh, not just with with uh, Arnold. Like I think part of the charm and part of the the levity here is the fact that you have Arnold Schwarzenegger who is like this gover- government government agency spy figure and he certainly has the build of it right when you go to see an Arnold movie you expect him to play a character like that but mm. they like the facade of him is that he has like this small business yeah like you know i, I forget what it, what it is but like like it's almost hard to believe that he's like you know, he manufactures paper or whatever the heck he does. Like his I name would be Harry is. Tasker. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, like, but I think that's purposeful. The fact that you have Arnold and he's built to be like this, this guy that has this everyday small business. Like, you don't believe it, and I think that's very much the point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just also love that a lot of the the conflict of this film just comes down to him being away from home all of the time. And of course his family is, you know, it creates some space there and some, and some conflict. And then the moment he thinks that his wife is cheating on him, which she isn't, he loses his mind. And, and that is clearly Cameron wrestling with that, but he's doing it in such a fun and goofy way. I mean, early on, like there's an action beat where uh, Arnold is chasing down one of the antagonists on a horse and he's like riding through buildings and stuff like he's on an elevator and a horse it is absolutely insane it's silly and so to me that's indicative of like okay this is what this movie is going to be and i love how that sequence crystallizes where the guy like takes his motorcycle off and jumps from one building to the next and the the camera like slows down and here he comes <laughs> we're gonna back up the horse and we're going to ride off this roof and go off to the other. And then as soon as he gets to the edge, the horse is like, no, I, I none of this. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he like almost kills him. Like to me, that's hilarious. Like I, yeah. and I think that's exactly what this film is doing. It is so goofy. It's aware of that. It plays it up in, in a way that we've never really seen from Cameron before or since. So it's this interesting outlier in his filmography. Mm. Uh, for me, my original context is kind of iffy because I had the Sega Genesis video game, <laughs> which is like mm. a large pixelated Arnold who could kind of do side roles. I remember very clearly, you know, like back in the case or manual, it was like, it's all the action of the movie and none of the romance, <laughs> like like the way video <laughs> games are advertised. Like, yeah, yeah, like sure. Give you half the movie. Or double yeah, the price, right? Exactly, yeah. Movie, I mean, games were like eighty dollars back then, or like you know, like sixty, seventy dollars for a Sega Genesis game. And you're like, yeah, I, I get half this movie and only like the the masculine, like hyper nineties parts. Uh, that's very mm. funny. Well, um, and, and and that's what I love about Cameron, like as a filmmaker, and we we sort of touched on this earlier, is that he's so good at playing with convention like he it's not often that he just goes outside of 
of the convention. And here he kind of embraces a lot of tropes that make these action films so entertaining and alluring to people and why you can make a video game like that. But really at the heart of it is him grappling with divorce and he's doing it in this really funny and tangible way uh, that I think is, is really like, he just knows how to take what our expectations are as moviegoers and he heightens it to whatever degree works for him in the story that he's trying to tell. And I, and to me, that's what makes true lies interesting because it it's, it works in that way, but it's also different for him. Hmm. I almost think like almost like the argument you were making for Arnold is something like what people made for uh, M. Night Shyamalan and Dave Bautista about framing someone so large and in these yeah. spaces they don't always fit in. Um, uh, yeah. The way Shyamalan got a lot of credit for that is kind of what's happening with Arnold. In yeah, this role. yeah, that, that's a great point. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and and I and I love the the Jamie Lee Curtis on Arnold dynamic. I think is really good. Like Bill Paxton is a caricature almost which again points back to the levity of the film like he's his performance so weird and bizarre and and, you know and say what you will about tom arnold but i think his comedic timing is great in Mm. this film this is probably the best he's ever been in a film so uh i i think comedically this is working on all cylinders for the most part perhaps a little weird a little you know, maybe pushes the boundaries at times, but, but I, I love kind of where it goes. And, and once, you know, kind of, once you get to the halfway point and Jamie Lee Curtis's character becomes more of a crux to the film, you know, becomes something different than maybe what you expected at the beginning of the film. When, you know, we learned that he's almost like this James Bond figure with the secret government agency. Um, I, I just think Cameron works like uses those tools to his advantage here. Yeah, for me, um, I mean, it, it leaves such a sizable impression of how James Cameron like stages action, almost like it's yeah. a military campaign every time. Like they're yeah. so ordered and they're so proficient and they demand so much of everyone, but you get so much on camera because of that every time. And there's uh, something about True Lies. It's a little long, but it's a uh, ends up being mm-hmm. a great movie, actually. Yeah, uh, because yeah. it's just all the things you said about it are inherently true. I think I think it just has so much of that. Um, I I don't know. I I feel like I'm nearing the an age that I'm ready for a midlife crisis, and I feel like it's meeting me <laughs> right there. Yeah, the, this film's going to speak to you all the more. Yeah. When I watched <laughs> it, I was like, man, I'm about ready for a midlife crisis too. Like I, it almost yeah. encouraged me. It's like an advertisement. Nice. One. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and James Cameron kind of has like that feeling about his movies. They all kind of feel like because they're maybe divorce movies, they often feel like midlife crisis movies. Exactly, they all yeah. come with the territory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think we feel that maybe is in an endearing way. I don't feel like it's yeah, I, I uh, shameful agree. for yeah, him. No, um, yeah, I, I love that about him. And and I think artists should do that. They should use their real life experiences as inspiration. You know, it it because it it certainly helps them grapple with what they're going through for better or worse, but it'll bring some catharsis, at least one would hope. And it certainly seems that was the case for James. And a lot of people can relate to those experiences, which is why as you know, works of art, you know, even in these fun bombastic movies, like people can find something 
you know, relatable about them or tangible yeah. in some way, even at the time, or as you're talking about years later, where you're finally in the space where, where you can relate to it in, in a new and different way. I mean, so, I, I, yeah. If you, if you want to bring, to, you know, if you're going to be able to stop nuclear war, first you need to bring together your nuclear family. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that shot i will never forget that as long as i live that is so good <laughs> it's a it, that's a compelling premise and logline i think yeah to yeah. stop nuclear war first you must save your nuclear family <laughs> that would be good exactly <laughs> incredible and it's true it's yeah. so true <laughs> uh and often it feels like that i guess when you when you have a relationship uh, uh that yeah. feels like it's imploding it almost feels like a well, I'm not going to say your partner is like a terrorist. I'm going to say it's more like a, you're being yeah. kind of held hostage in this situation. You need to like, a, you know, it's every kind of like male fantasy when they when they lose that power dynamic, I think. Mm-hmm. They, they yeah. kind of want to be this kind of hero and feel as big in their small role as Arnold does in True Lies, which is just, mm-hmm. you know, it's an incredible feeling. I, yeah. I wish they still made movies like this. Um, I agree. And they, they really don't. I don't think there's like a true lies of the last three, four years. So. No, sadly, all, all the action movies we get are either John Wick, Mission Impossible, or comic book. That's pretty much That's all we get. That's the three now. we get, for sure. <laughs> That's the um, three we get. Hey, at least know. two of the three are often very compelling. Maybe yeah. like out, you have to go outside the American cinema for anything beyond the, That's true. Yeah. the John Wick, Star Wars, Space Battle marvel yeah possibly but um Mm -hmm. or you just stay with james cameron and you keep getting essentially iterations on on what these are uh like titanic i also don't have a transition Uh, (laughs) but there we're at titanic now yes (laughs) that's uh, that's 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 it yeah uh titanic was uh um one of the big movies that felt like like a monocultural like okay it just seemed like what was like stereotyped in the 90s is like maybe it's a women's film maybe women will go watch it and have like this fantasy but but it has a thing for men like in a stereotypical way which is like the historical uh yeah um, accuracy and and the revision uh but, but for me i think it's just a beautiful like combination of those things romance I, I, and history this is where james cameron this is the epitome of what I was saying earlier about writing to audiences, pandering to them in a way, but doing it uh, in a way that is just utterly engaging and doing it with such a broad stroke, right? Because yes, you get the romanticism of it. A lot of people will love that. There's the history angle of it. A lot of other people will love that. Mm -hmm. There's the final act. That's the action part of the quote unquote action part of it where people will be enthralled by that. These characters are really engrossing. Like it, it covers the entire gamut of everybody who would go to see this film. They'll love it in one degree or another, or, and maybe with a lot of people, they'll love it. They'll love all of it, which is probably the case and why it, you know, broke endures gobs of records yeah. at the time, <laughs> and yeah, why it keeps breaking records. So this is another reason yeah. why we got more legroom is they brought back Titanic, and and it mm-hmm. kind of felt like the reception was just as high this time. Like the people who went and saw it were like, it's still an incredible film. It looks yeah. like it held up on the screen for them for being yeah. such a technical thing. 
and that was me. I the I when this was re-released, I did go and see it, which was my first time watching it in years. Okay. In a long, 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 long time. Similar to what I was saying about the abyss. You know, and I did watch this in 97 when it came out. I would have been like 12 years old at, at the time. Um, and, and, you know, and then I'm just, you know, I'm 12. I, it's I, it's fun. Yeah, me too. It's yeah. long. It's really long, but it's hard for me to really appreciate the film for what it is. And then you, you watch it all these years later. And I, I did revisit this sometime in college as well. Um, but, yeah, watching it again, um, was that just a few months ago? Um, yeah. Man, it's it's almost hard to do. like. This is James Cameron at his best. I think this film is really great. This is I go back and forth in my rankings as far as like, is this my number two film mm-hmm. of his? I might be that high on it. As much as I love T two Terminator's great, I this is an achievement though. Like you know, this is one of those films where you know because we don't always agree on you know, best picture winners. Is it deserved? This is a thousand percent deserved. <laughs> like yeah. this one. It's hard turns, to argue. It's hard to argue against this movie. Like everything about it <laughs> is spectacular. And it just for a three hour film, like it, to me, it hardly feels that way. Cause the, the characters, the drama just builds on each other. It carries such wonderful and seamless momentum. You're utterly engrossed by what's going on. Um, that, you know, by the time it ends, it's like it's been three hours already. I had no idea. Uh, you almost just, need it, someone as in love with nautical, like transport as Cameron would be, to get like the accuracy of the ship and to really oh care gosh. about the processes. Oh, yeah, it's the, it's the, incredible. The cinematography and production design on this film is truly astounding. It is so transportative. Yeah, like yeah, you, you're like you're really and and I love that we get to see so much you see all of the ship right yeah all the way from like you get all the the, the first class section you know the the middle and lower class sections the the boiler room Mm -hmm. we get to to see the captain and his quarters like we really get to see the entire ship how it functioned what it looked like what these characters would have experienced and then on top of that is also just this really compelling romance story you know, you, you <laughs> like, even get, you know, I think like as you're breaking those parts of the ship down, you almost get like a parasite. Like I feel like you could, uh, it plays yes, into like story yes. relevant, like uh, classism and where you are on the ship matters. And it's very, nothing is in there that doesn't matter to the story. And it begins so jaunty and, and so celebratory. And it also embodies something I think we wouldn't really know without it. Like what a big deal and what the grandeur of like the Titanic really was like, we have cruise ships now, but that's so commodified. That's not what mm-hmm. going on board the Titanic was like. Uh, it was a whole other society. Yeah, absolutely. And I love seeing those distinctions, right? That's what one of the more famous sequences of this film, I, I think, are kind of that jarring turn from, you know, high class dinner and what that experience was like. And then moments later, they're in the lower class section and they're at this party and they're dancing around and, and like, he's <laughs> like that juxt like that is just classic Cameron storytelling. There's nothing about that that is innovative, but it works so incredibly well. Like he just, he's, he's able to take those tropes and hide them to such a fascinating degree. 
I'm just uh, still in awe of what was able to be created and so much of 90s filmmaking is so kitschy and <laughs> and kind of cornball in a way that uh, the culture felt a lot smaller than it did in the 80s. And mm -hmm. some of Cameron's 90s films kind of disproves that that had to be the way films had to be made. Uh, they they felt much larger and, and grandiose in a way that uh, films could think about being more in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Uh, um, the 90s thrillers became so, um, uh, what's the word, interior? But uh, mm -hmm. I, I think yeah. that this has like a big exteriority that's like matched with the interiority of the characters. Like they're on this grand ship, but as we say, it has levels that that reflect their caste system and, and where they are and who they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can. And I, and I love how Cameron like writes that. I like how he depicts that. And I also love the performances as well. Right. Because mm -hmm. you think of Billy Zane's cow character <laughs> and he is classic cinema villain in every way. <laughs> And yet you like, at least for me, I just can't help but love that. <laughs> like, I just, <laughs> I just love his performance. Like, again, he is not reinventing the wheel at all. You know, nothing Cameron is doing from a writing perspective is doing the same. But yet it feels so appropriate and necessary, given that that class dichotomy that you're talking about, which mm -hmm. we know was pivotal to the real story, not just the, the way it's depicted cinematically, but, you know, the the real uh, the real life dichotomy at play, you know, that was certainly there and they, they mimic that, you know, maybe they heighten it a little bit for mm -hmm. cinematic purposes, but I love that about these performances and the classic nature of them. To me, that just makes this film like, I, I don't, I don't all the more classic. I don't know. I feel like I'm re redundant <laughs> by saying it that way, but like it does have like this classic filmmaking aura to it that, that I almost, love on top of like the, Ben Hur or something like it's yeah, that kind of epic. exactly. That's yeah. I was uh, just about to say that like it has like though like that kind of feel to it dramatically in terms of these characters, but then juxtaposing it in terms of the actual filmmaking innovation at play by Cameron and to bring this ship to life um, and all of the tragedy of it. Uh, I mean, because the scale and scope of that final hour is truly breathtaking. Oh, it is yeah. stunning in every way. It still feels like such a does. thrill and, and so scary how it breaks apart. Yeah. Uh, you terrifying. could not have imagined it. I guess I had no idea what it was like for a ship to capsize before I saw Titanic yeah. and saw how it could be terrifying. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think it's the long process that's most terrifying. It's how long it takes for the ship to really go down is is what's so uh, worrying about it. And, and the romanticism of the maiden voyage that was ill-fated is really beautiful and, and mm -hmm. plays into the love story of it all. I uh, watched, uh, this is the only one I watched this week as we uh, came back closer to record again. I, um, I improved on it in a way that I was like, oh, Titanic is a really good thing and it was you know i was like maybe go make a argument for the genre films but but then when you watch it again it everything all the layers work in a beautiful way yeah and and i love how he's able to <laughs> i love camera for this i love how he's able to blend the 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 story of titanic these characters with his own personal love 
which is deep sea exploration. <laughs> I, I love how that's like the first 35 minutes of this movie. Yeah. Is is that deep sea exploration and you know they're trying to find this certain artifact on the Titanic. Like I love how that's a big part of it. Right? Like the whole film takes place as a flashback. Mm-hmm. Uh so like it's interesting and obviously very purposeful <laughs> for James to be able to be like take his own love right that end of the movie and then get the the execs to agree on it, like to pay for him to go do the thing he loves. Like it's kind of unbelievable how he was able to to pull that off, but that's just what makes him the goat. <laughs> I love when, when filmmaking like combines with like, the actual passions of the people making it yeah, and allowed him so much headway into do the, doing the thing he really wants to do, which is to be exploring underwater. Uh, yeah. And we still know so little. So, I mean, it's such a, a relevant thing to be underwater doing mm-hmm. exposition expeditions because as the earth gets worse we we still don't know what's underneath us and that's part of yeah. the terror of what happens when you know everyone so many people die and a ship goes down into the deep and uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of uncovering that and, and restoring it is a, a really beautiful act for history and like a tribute to all those people that have died I in situations yeah. like that um uh, mm-hmm. important that it came before you know like the 9-11 era i don't think you would have made like this tragic historical thing about the uh the devastation <laughs> like uh this journey or you know you might not have made yeah. that in a couple of years when that's so a good point it came out at just the yeah. right time yeah it, it had to be preceding that right away because there's almost something where this came out and it was such a massive thing and by the time anyone could have developed anything influenced by it. You should no longer make that movie. So exactly. Yeah. 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 Cause you think about like what, like the Paul Greengrass film, mm-hmm. like there's nothing like tonally speaking. And obviously in terms culturally, like it, it doesn't have the same impact. No, like those kind of films now, like it's rare to have the same kind of impact that a Titanic did uh, depicting tragedy in that way. So, yeah, it's it came out at just the right time, you know. But but Cameron does great diligence with it. Like he he shows a lot of respect to those that that suffered, you know, via this tragedy, and he does his best to villainize or at least maybe point the finger a little bit at those that were less helpful in mm-hmm. the situation. Well, I, I may, we can say nicely, I guess. <laughs> so. Yeah. You know, and he, he creates bombacity out, out of it, you know, and, and and I do think the central romance at the core of it is also very good. Like, I, I, I really do like Leo here. I think Winslet is also great. You know, like there's a naivete to both of them that I think are appropriate, you know, and and I think he does such a great job of building character that even within that futile, very futile and silly debate of could Jack have been on the door or not? <laughs> like, like to me, narratively and emotionally, it makes sense that mm-hmm. he wouldn't want to get on that door. Yeah. Like, we can debate all day long the physical part of it. Could he fit? Maybe. Maybe he could fit. It's kind of like he climbed a... on, if, if he climbed on that door, it completely disrupts and subverts him as a character, which it is would. why he doesn't. Yeah. And people don't make decisions in real life that make any sense, and especially, especially when they're exactly. underwater and it's freezing cold. Like yeah. already 
people in my life don't make decisions that make sense. Uh, yeah, and and they, then put they them do. under dire circumstances like that, and they're yeah. going to they be all the their, more confused. I yeah. mean, they already risk their lives making terrible decisions. People in my life, and it's <laughs> <Yeah>. like, um, <laughs> I. I wouldn't expect them when they were in freezing water after a ship just sank, hitting an iceberg to make the best decision. But it's kind of like cinema sins, right? Like exactly. I, I don't really drill into like those details of the story. Exactly. I've never yeah. thought yeah. about it besides the conversation that always happens online about this. Uh, yeah. And I've, and I've, it's funny to me, like, cause I, the conversation has always been around. Could he fit or not? Yeah. And and that's the wrong question to ask. The I question agree. is, yeah. should he have gotten on there? And the answer is unequivocally no, which Cameron has pretty much always stated yeah. that. Um, and I think he did again, right? When they were promoting. I think he did. This. Yeah. That it's not, it's not, could he have got on there? It's would he have, and he wouldn't have. He wouldn't have. Yeah. He no. wouldn't have done anything to jeopardize Rose in that moment. And that's no. the debate really ends there. It begins and ends there. <laughs> it's not like they're trying to save him and her at, at you know any risk possible yeah. it's like her at any you know any cost and that the romanticism is they doesn't do it um yeah exactly yeah it wouldn't be the it's same like, memory do you guys want the romance movie to work or not yeah. <laughs> like, come on i'm pro decisions that make movies work yeah from here we don't yeah. see much of cameron for a long time uh, yeah yeah, not for a long time. He, I know he did he did some producer works in mm-hmm. within the next ten years or so, but and some documentary work. I think he'd throw out some some more underwater expedition <laughs> documentaries. Did you know before even like filming Titanic, he already had like scripts ready for Avatar, like even that far back? Uh I did not know that, but I'm also like not surprised at all <laughs> yeah. to hear that. so it was cooking that long too like uh, it wasn't like it was okay titanic came out in 97 then he went and got his award in 98 then he was like okay let's start you know work is like already in his mind as he was making this movie and um i think mm-hmm. you could you could maybe ascribe a lot of the decisions he makes for you know between that period of true lies to avatar to being like let's mm-hmm. get to a place where i can make this uh movie that's actually my uh, life dream mm-hmm. well and, and i think what's interesting about that honestly though and, and it's very indicative of the way of water as well like cameron is going to work on his own timeline mm-hmm. and you know my assumption based off of what you're saying there then is that the technology wasn't there for him to create avatar until kind of the mid 2000s I think it, which is why that's exactly what that. he said. Yeah, yeah. Is that it? I, I'll be honest. I still don't believe it was there uh, when he made Avatar. I, I think that's my one thing about yeah. Avatar is I don't think the tech was, it was the one time where if I look back, I see the age on it. I see that it was a movie of the 2000s. Um, yeah. It's the yeah. only one like that in his well, filmography. And that's, that's so interesting because coming into this conversation, I wasn't sure where you were going to sit on that. And well, I guess, cause I'm trying to think back, we would have had this conversation when you were on the show back in December, because I've, Somewhere, I've always yeah. been of the opinion, uh, at least in these last few years. And maybe this is a little hot takey because I, I know a lot of people don't agree with this take, but I, I don't think the visuals hold up at all today, and at least at home. One. 
Now, I, I I heard when they re-released it back in December with the rejuvenized visuals that it was actually fantastic. That it was really? it was okay. really great. And and that doesn't surprise me because you know you think about how they've been able to take movies from the 1920s. Like you look at the way like Charlie Chaplin's films look today. Like if you watch them on HBO Max and they look really good. Like the, oh, yeah. the restoration on them is fantastic. So. It, yeah, you you're talking about a movie from a decade ago, a little bit more than that, I guess. Uh, I'm sure the, I have no doubt that the restoration on the visuals, which at the time were certainly very really good to great, um, certainly new, and I yeah I have no doubt that the restoration on it was fantastic. But I think by today's standards, like if I watch that first Avatar on, at home on my TV which it's still a very good TV. I, I don't think they hold up all that well. No, I don't. I and, that was, and to me, that was the one thing it had going for it. Cause narratively <laughs> it is his worst script by far in my opinion. Yeah, it's not I think even it's a bad script. Possibly. It's, bad. I, it, like, it's genuinely bad, but it's <laughs> yeah. also a movie that's high impact. I went to it the day it came out in 3d and then I went the next day in 2d to make sure that I felt so strongly and then i watch it 10 years later i wish i didn't i i kind of wish i never saw avatar again after that theater yeah. unless it were re-released well and, and it certainly begs the question because i'm i'm like you i had similar ish experience um you know because this whole conversation i've been talking about how james cameron does such a great job of playing within the sandbox like mm -hmm. he's not reinventing the wheel narratively or with any of his characters and but he's having fun and he's doing it in a way that works for him he's doing the same thing with avatar why doesn't that work and maybe right. maybe with avatar it simply comes down to the emphasis on trying to make that technology work that you know to get the visuals the way we want them um maybe the writing suffered as a result the other thing for me, and maybe this is the thing, I don't think the performances in that film are great. No. And I especially think they... compared to the rest of his films. Like you, every one of these other films we've talked about, and I know we haven't gotten into the performances a ton. You know, mm. We're not reviewing these movies per se. No. But they've all been very good. I, I mean, I can't think of, again, Piranha side, I can't think of any other film where I'm like, I don't know about that performance. It, like most of the time, the performances are are really great. It's one Avatar example. Is not. It's one example where I feel like, as we say, the tech wasn't there. And I feel like maybe the movie wasn't quite there when they did the performances. I feel like maybe, maybe. the actors couldn't quite envision in some way what, I don't feel like it's like an animated film where you like sit and you watch the animated scene. You're like, let me speech match to like that or let me like let me follow this uh scene on a board and and see where it's moving i think it uh before avatar there was nothing that really looked like avatar it must have been hard, so hard to envision what that movie possibly could have been that i imagine it must have just yeah. been too much to act in uh, and well and that's a really fascinating conversation and i i really don't know the answer to this because you know, you think about the motion capture work of the Lord of the Rings. Maybe Andy Serkis was just so ahead of the game in that regard that when we were asking everyone else to do it, it was hard for them to 
to be Andy Circus. I don't know. Yeah. Also, the the other thing too, and maybe this is the biggest thing, because I I do like Zoe Zaldano on the whole. Mm-hmm. She I think she's really great. Sam Worthington and that Avatar movie is not good. Not good. And and Hollywood trying to force feed us him as this Hollywood action star was uh, uh, one of their worst attempts. <laughs> like God love him. And I certainly want to talk about him in the way of water, but in that first avatar, that time of his life, like as a performer, just wasn't good. He, he, he was not good. He's not good in this movie. He wasn't good yeah. in a lot of movies. And in that experiment was a big failure and him being the lead of this film, maybe that was that that's part of it. I don't really know. But there's certainly there's certainly something about the performances here, the uneven nature of them, the technology trying to fuse that with this narrative that it felt like Cameron spent three minutes writing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I j- joked with my wife that I think he spent literally five minutes writing the screenplay and then spent 10 years developing the technology. Like that's kind of what it felt like to me. And yeah, then you never went back to revisit that, that script. It also feels like maybe people say the uh, characters aren't memorable, but I think really the performances aren't memorable. I think like what the characters are doing and, and saying and, and how Worthington is, isn't memorable at all. Um, Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's a terrible movie though. Um, it it did have a high impact when I first saw it in a tech way mm-hmm. because I am a three D hater. I guess uh, it, they give me yeah. migraines when I see three D movies. I don't like them particularly. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, the, I'm willing to do it for Cameron, but I'm not willing to go and do the three D thing for many others. And it had a horrible impact on movies uh, for the next ten years. Gravity um, aside. Yeah, gravity and uh, a few other, you know, Hugo was. Uh, yeah, Hugo. That's another use. good one. Yeah. Um, there were a few uh, exceptions, but it really ruined uh, the multiplex because uh, they had trouble like dimming the lights and like figuring out the right mm-hmm. lighting for movies as they switch screens from two to three yeah. D. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Even yeah, as if you saw two D exhibited for the next ten years, it was still ruined by. There's not being able to manage their lighting properly and and not knowing what settings were for which movie anymore and nobody being paid enough to care. So um, <laughs> that is a problem. Yes. Yeah. Uh Avatar though was a you know worth it for that moment, I thought. Um, and it was it's it's rare that I go anymore the day after I see a movie and go back to the theater. I mean, Parasite yeah. was one, uh The Lighthouse was one that was recent. Um yeah, it out. There are some that have done it. Sure. Yeah, and at, I, I'm with you. At the time in 2009, I I did find it visually to be a feast. Mm-hmm. I, I I did enjoy it. I did enjoy the 3D experience. Uh, it, you know, for better or worse, it was at, at that time by far the best 3D experience we've we've had. You know, to I still think gravity is my favorite 3d experience i've ever i've ever experienced yeah uh but he's james cameron certainly set a standard and i can at least appreciate that despite you know because one one of the things that we say all the time on our show is that you know i much prefer a film 
to be uh, like a compelling failure versus a, a film that's kind of playing it safe and, you know, and it kind of end up failing in that regard or even succeeding yeah. as, as mediocrity. You know, the one thing I do appreciate about Cameron's avatar, I don't love it narratively. I, and I do think it's genuinely not good, but I can at least appreciate that he is striving for innovation visually. Mm-hmm. And that, at least at the time, I don't think the effects hold up, but at the time it is, it was visually compelling to look at. And, and I think that ethos is heightened all the more today when you look at the discourse around studio, like major studio films, especially coming off the heels of, you know, Ant-Man and the Little Mermaid trailer and all of, all of these, these things that are coming out now. And you're like, man, this looks terrible. It looks like complete and utter garbage. Now, again, I don't expect Marvel to give me best cinematography of the year candidates. I don't expect that. However, you know, could they do more to still visually captivate us? I, yes, I, I, I don't think it has to be mutually exclusive though, you know, because you look at what Cameron is doing here and Okay, maybe he spent three minutes on the script, but he spent 10 years working on this film visually. And I do think that it came through. And hopefully, with the, I would love to see the restoration of it. Yeah. Because that would certainly change my viewpoint on that original Avatar, at least a little bit. Because as of right Jeez. now, like when I, when I watch it at home now, not only is the, the screenplay and the characters not good, uh, but the thing that it was known for is also not as alluring anymore no you shouldn't you know? do it, i think i don't think avatar should ever be watched at home again uh, and I, maybe th- maybe that's on me maybe i just shouldn't yeah. be watching it at home. <laughs> <laughs> i mean maybe i just won't i wish i didn't honestly i wish i waited and uh, maybe i'm still waiting maybe i'll go back and see the restoration i'm sure it will come to theaters every time one of the new ones are released so mm-hmm. we'll both have a chance again but can we talk about the way of water now Yes, because uh, <laughs> because you know, for all of that about that first Avatar, man, does James Cameron come around with the way of water? Visually, it is even more striking and evocative. But more so than that, I think the story is compelling. Again, not reinventing the wheel, but more compelling than the first one. But more than anything else. These performances, and especially Sam Worthington. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I cannot stop talking about him. I cannot stop talking about Sam Worthington. I remember the show. You love him so much in this I, Yes. <laughs> yeah, when you came on, I raved about it because like, I did not have any expectations for this film, right? Because mm-hmm. I didn't love it in 2009. It takes over a decade to come out. Like it kept getting pushed back and pushed back. Like, were the, was this ever going to happen? And then it comes out, and Sam Worthington is a freaking revelation. He <laughs> is so good in this movie. And I think that is, to me, like when I think about the differences between the two films, like visually, great. Uh, Story wise, maybe about the same. You know, the overarching story of The Way of Water isn't anything grand. But the way it builds upon lore, I do think, is actually quite fascinating. And and these performances are the big difference because they're all great across mm. the board 
fantastic, but especially Sam Worthington as the lead here. And I noted at the beginning of this conversation that I, I revisited it for the first time um, uh, this last week. And I'm I'm getting emotional talking about it. Hopefully I can hold it together here, <laughs> you know, because I watch it for the first time. And in those first two experiences I had in the theater last, last December, I was emotionally very much moved by it. But I'm watching at home. And this first time, um, I'm holding my new my newborn oh, son. Yeah, I'm holding him, and it gets to that point where it gets to that point where they're in the ship, right? And Loak is uh, talking to his father and getting him to calm down, and he starts telling him that the way of water mantra mm. and that score. Oh my god, the <laughs> musical score in that is it, brilliant. I and I sobbed in in front of everybody there. <laughs> like it yeah. just full on. I can see sobbed. it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, I can see I it with the newborn, was, especially and yeah. that speech. Yeah. Oh, uh, I was undone. And then the way that scene crystallizes, where they swim out, and Jake just tells them, "I see you." <laughs> oh my god, I lost it. <laughs> Just I, I nearly it. lost in the theater. I mean, I, I was <laughs> yeah. so moved at that moment. That I, uh, oh, I'm glad so that good. we both have that connection with those parts because uh, when yeah. I bring it to like uh, other groups who are who just seem like just generally critical about about the Avatar, I guess complex. I, I, the way I said that they don't make sequels like Terminator and Aliens anymore. I think they did again. I think Cameron did it again. He did it again in a he way that I could not have yeah. anticipated. Uh, yeah, this he is did. that level of sequel. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like I, you know, I I joked at the beginning of this, although certainly for real, my son has probably watched this six or seven times. They might <laughs> even be watching it right now as we talk. Sure. Who knows? He even got a. Uh, the way of water Legos that we built when we were watching it during one of those times over the weekend. Uh, and yet every, every time I I'm telling you, man, every time we get to that moment, no matter how many times I've seen it so far, I, I, I can't help myself. I get incredibly emotional. And then you get to that, that funeral sequence at the end and mm -hmm. Uh, the way they drop his body into that reef, it is incredibly stirring. It is so good. And then that flashback at the at the very end, oh my god! <laughs> like to me, like if if True Lies is Cameron's most humorous film, most laugh out loud funny film, The Way of Water is by far his most emotional. I agree. With it's more than Titanic pathos. somehow. Yeah. Um, and Titanic, I thought, you know, I used to think was the the peak of what he was going to do there. I did not expect it from Avatar. And maybe it's <laughs> more. I, I feel yeah. nothing about Avatar 1. And I have such yeah. strong Same. feelings. I think we both bring in something of fatherhood there and the mm -hmm. connection and, and water being, you know, the connective source between these characters and their families and and kind of dynasty and and relationships uh yeah I, I don't know how the third one could possibly be more for i me. don't uh, i don't know and so and here's the other fascinating thing kind of going forward right because you know we've talked about it i very much agree with you like cameron is one of the best to ever do it in terms of sequels yeah you know not just his 80s output now but even with uh the way of water 
Like he, the guy just knows how to do sequels. But the thing going forward, the thing we've never really seen from him is he's going to do the third, three, four, and five. Like there's <laughs> three more films to follow. This one, like, so how will those sequels fare? You know, because now we're entering into new territory with with James Cameron. Yeah, I'm and it curious. sounds like this is all he might make. Um, he made some allusions to maybe making some. Uh, historical drama again about you know uh, yeah some really deep historical drama in between avatar sequels i don't see how that would be possible to be in both mental spaces at once but um i don't think so either and how I old is he, he now? will yeah he's, he's what in his 70s 60s 70s? i don't yeah, we should probably look up I before I... according to this he's 65 five makes sense to me um 68 i can't i don't know i don't have my glasses on i can't read it it's a but, real possibility yeah. all he's going to make are Avatar movies. <laughs> yeah. And I did not like yeah. the first one. I was upset about that. And now I'm fascinated by the idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I, you, you, but you know what? Like, I will total, if if three, four, and five are as good or anywhere near the way of water, I can mm. absolutely live with that first Avatar being the way that it is. Like, fine. yeah. If it, I can was, live with if that. it led to this, it was worth if it. it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> totally worth it. <laughs> totally worth it. You know, and I just, I love that he's back, you know, mm. because I'm a big fan of Cameron as, as people listening to this will certainly know. And he was gone for such a long time, two yeah. stretches, right? From 97 to 2009. And then from 2009 to this last year. And, and I, I just, I feel like cinema is better when he's, involved yeah in some uh, way it feels like we haven't had cameron here since 1997 i mean yeah because avatar was such a miss for both of us it's like yeah. we almost had three decades of exactly. cameron and then he's like our most reliable filmmaker so that is a very <laughs> weird thing for that time it is, it's strange yeah absolutely strange you know i and and i don't know like i understand building the technology and wanting wanting it to be the way you want it Mm. It, is it and again i i don't know but like is it cumbersome enough that that's a full-time job that you can't make films in between well because it, it seems like a lot of directors do that well okay well the thing i want to do is years down the road so i'm gonna make this instead i now. think he's so involved <laughs> in the technical side and i think it's not so much like a disney thing where you hand it off to 10 animation studios i think he's so much in the edit and the creature design. And I don't think he could yeah. live with not being that hands-on with this. And that's fair. And, and when you have, you know, some of the highest grossing films of all time, even yeah. pre avatar that you can just, you can afford to do that. Like he doesn't have to make more monies cause he financially I'm good. So, you know, any, he, any, he, he's won the Academy award. He doesn't have to fight for that anymore either like yeah um he's got he's got it all like he, he does he could just chill now so so you might be right maybe that was why he was full-time in that regard yeah i mean i know like he even like designed the cameras like he he went and helped build them like he's like that physically that technician, technician that yeah that that part of him again yeah i mean totally makes sense that is who he is so it makes sense but it'll be strange in the next one to think the last three projects are all Avatar and and what could we have got from Cameron between that you know Titanic no, no. and that second movie we'll we'll never know what it could have been. 
Um, and maybe filmmaking feel, felt a little bit empty to us for a while while we just had Marvel and no Cameron uh, to uh, kind of mm. helm like the top of the box office. Um, well, what, what we just need to hope for is that there are more Chad Stahelskis out there. I think, yeah, that aren't just doing John Wick, their version. I think we need the, the other Chad Stahelskis yeah. that are um, making something new. And uh, um, for the other guys, mm. I'm thinking of uh, the guy who did the new Top Gun. Uh, seems like he could be. Yeah, jo- uh, what, what, Joseph Co- Kaczynski, is that it? Kuzinski is yeah is yeah. the guy. I think he could be a very reliable uh, action director. Christopher McQuarrie as yeah, well. McQuarrie, that was the other one. Yeah, yeah. They, so. I think, in ten years we're gonna look at those three filmographies and, and be like, oh, okay, yeah, there are these directors with real careers now that aren't in the Marvel mm-hmm. system. Uh, it'll be hard yeah. one day when we have to like go back and do the filmographies and there's like uh, two Marvel movies in them and we have to rank this. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, right. The, the thing I weird. love about Stahelski, though, and the John Wick movies is that, like, those started off, they like, those didn't come with, like, $300 million budgets. Right. Like, it, like it, it gives me hope that a director can come along, have kind of that, that sort of vision and, fl- you know, flair and eye for bombastic entertainment, but can do it on a tight budget um, that... Uh, you know, we can get more of those down the the road without relying on Marvel and DC and whatever Disney and totally yeah. And Avatar, <laughs> of course, a Disney movie. So like, uh, this like the the war between this and the Marvel movies for me just it, it's one company. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I don't mind or or really care what's on top. I guess I'd prefer it were Avatar too because I love the movie. But um, yeah, I do too. I'm not well, listening. And it's, sleep. And it's, and it's fast because I don't really remember uh, when the transition or when all of it started that um, that Disney was going to buy Fox. Like mm. this had to have been in the works, I think, longer than maybe it was reported because like like av- like Pandora in at Disney World has been there for quite a few years now, like right before yeah. the transition happened. So like this had to have been in the works for some time. And you it know, must have been this was gonna happen. Maybe the determining factor was Avatar in a way we weren't quite privy to back then. Um yeah. that wasn't and, how it was being reported, like that well, Disney yeah. bought Avatar, but I think that's why now. It, honestly, you think about like the profits of the Fox, you know, like the assets that they're gonna get from Fox. And I know that people immediately immediately want to go to the Marvel stuff. Mm-hmm. And I I you know, that stuff's coming assuming it'll be, it'll there. be yeah. profitable to some degree but what if avatar is maybe more of a reason <laughs> to get fox <laughs> i think it you could know, be i think it was because um, cameron just he just made two over two billion dollars with one movie yeah <laughs> i mean come on and uh those superhero movies are making less right now yeah they, they exactly. could bounce back once yeah. you get to like x-men i don't know yeah i I, I agree. I think once you kind of get to you build to something, because right now the MCU is kind of in that phase one thing yeah. again, yeah, where I mean, they're I, having to build to something. 
I don't think we should be shaken at all by any of the results. They're, they're going to go back to exactly how yeah, it was they'll get in there. 10 years. Yeah, so. exactly. It, it'll get there. Like that first Thor movie wasn't making billions of dollars either. So <laughs> no. it's fine. Uh, they'll be fine. They'll they'll get there. But yeah. And anyway. now uh, Cameron has what? Three of the top five grossing films of all time. Yeah. And uh, wild. Every one of his movies starts with A and T. That's a very fun pattern. <laughs> didn't, didn't even think about that, but yeah, that makes Is sense. Is that true? Uh, Piranha's the only one, maybe? And we're not even including it. So Yeah, okay. So every movie starts yeah. with A&T. Maybe there's something about... Uh, that is I've wondered, hilarious. like, uh, Avatar's the uh, AV Avengers. Uh, I've always wondered if, like, naming <laughs> yeah. and success is, like, interlinked in that way, but... I, I don't know. That's fast. I'm looking at it now, yeah. <laughs> Didn't There's some linguistic thing one. where uh, I'm renaming the site the, the AV Club. No, that's out there. Uh, we're moving <laughs> the on to club. us. Yeah, the the AD Club, um, Dad Club. <laughs> I'll work it out. We should get to ranking yeah. these so you could get to your yeah. hockey game. Yeah. Um. So my ranking again, I'm excluding Piranha. So as it stands now, Aliens is my number one. Okay. Titanic is my number two. Terminator 2, Judgment Day is my number three. Four is the Terminator. But again, those are pretty interchangeable. You can flip three and four and I'll sleep peacefully. Number five for me is Avatar The Way of Water. But I will say this. The more I watch this movie, I, it's very possible that might be my number three. Okay. I, yeah. I love it that much. Sure. It's very good. And I can't stop uh, being moved by it. Every time I watch it, I get incredibly moved by it. So that one might be my number three in a short amount of time. So and I guess I'll... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No. And then at number six, I have True Lies, Seven, The Abyss, and Eight is Avatar. I guess I don't know if I explained. I, we're going to try to come to like a ranking together as well. Oh, like together. We're going to well, that's ours, where my so. ranking is. So okay. let's see where yours is and we'll, okay. uh, we'll combine them. So I go Alien, Terminator, Terminator 2, uh, Way of the Water. Again, I also feel like I could flip if it grows with me. True Lies, Titanic, Abyss, Avatar. Okay. So, so Abyss and Avatar were the same on. Okay, so those, so those are at our bottoms. Um, Aliens, I have at one. You had that at one as well? Yeah, we could keep that then. as our So that, that can stay the official, same. Official, so to speak, list. Um, so Titanic was six for you? Yeah. It was two for me, so that'll be somewhere in the middle. But I had okay. ter- Judgment Day at three, so that can slide to two, right? Because that was two for you? Right. And uh, it doesn't Terminator. have to be all math either. We can make an argument for things if we need to. Um, okay. How do you feel about Way of Water being third? <laughs> can we make I, that? I say, let's, I say let's do it. I just yeah, feel like for it. posterity's sake, we're both going to yeah. come around that way and um, okay, that's so then the ter- Terminator, then following that, yeah, then Titanic, then uh, Titanic, or True Lies. I, uh, Titanic, Titanic's okay. a better, a, a better movie, and then True Lies, Abyss, and Avatar. That seems good. I think we could even lock that down. Yeah, uh, it's easy work. I think to rank Cameron because I, I think our 
agreements fall into the same place we don't have major disagreements so. yeah exactly uh, it makes it, it a little easier <laughs> and eight way. movies if we agree on things is easy yeah. to rank i suppose exactly it's not like you're doing spielberg here right that, that would be a whole podcast in and of itself is just the ranking portion well if you had like titanic is your favorite film from him i think it would have taken like 10 minutes for us to figure out where that went <laughs> uh, yeah yeah but yeah both of us having aliens so. i think that that fits that very makes it well, a little easier so. yeah um yeah we'll go with that as our uh, official uh ranking Sounds and good. thank you so much shady and yeah, that was fun love to have you back for really anything Absolutely. you want to do but uh okay um we'll find another director soon so jeff nichols <laughs> whoever you would like if you'd like jeff nichols <laughs> we'll do jeff nichols <laughs> Okay, sounds good. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely do it again, especially as I kind of get back into the swing of things. I'm uh I'm gonna take, I'll be off about another month or so. Right on. Hanging out with the little guy, and uh, we'll get back into it. Uh, All right, I'll enjoy you your know. leave, and uh, congrats we'll on the kid. Thank you. Thank you so much, buddy. It. Yeah. conversations and i post them online for entertainment it's nice to know at least you listen to the show because it's quite the possibility that nobody is listening to me in this modern world things have changed everybody's entertaining who's being entertained